Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. And in the end of years, they shall join themselves together, for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall he stand nor his arm, but she shall be given up, and they that brought her, he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. So the commentators are split over who this woman is. They name a couple of different historical figures about as to who they believe it's referring to. Um, they say that she went and bartered a peace deal, whoever they say she is. Um, it, it, I, one of the guys that I like to read sometimes is a commentator. His name is Ellicott. And um, he, um, <laughs> his commentary is very brief. But he tends to have a good handle on some of the historical events. So he really destroys the historical narrative when these guys try to force something into place. Then he comes behind with what they said and really tears it apart. And it's like, well, if that's true, then, then this can't be. And so, so as far as who this woman is, I'm going to tell you right now. Ready? I don't know. (laughs) I know that's helpful. But this is what happened. Okay, this is is the part that whoever she was, whoever did this, um, there came a time where these two kings, apparently, if you read it again, verse 6, and in the end of years, they shall join themselves together. All right, so apparently... There is a time in which these two countries had a moment of peace. They had some sort of peace treaty or uh, they they were working together to some extent. And then it says, For the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north and make an agreement. So she was able to facilitate this peace treaty between the two and cause them to have have a brief moment. It doesn't say how long it was, so maybe it was longer than brief, but but. A moment of peace between the two countries. And I'm sure Israel was like, thank you. Can you stop like killing each other in my backyard? (laughs) Could you go somewhere else for a while? 
And so they get this brief moment of peace, but, but here's the problem. She makes an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall, shall uh, he stand nor his arm, but she shall be given up and they that brought her. And so she goes and she makes this peace treaty with the king of the north, uh, but at some point he gives it up. He's like, no, I'm done with this. I'm over it. And they go back to fighting again. So it doesn't last, though she's able to barter this deal for a time, which is great. It's wonderful. Peace is good. We all want peace, but we don't want false peace. And so far, that's all the world has been able to offer. It's, it's never real. How, how many times have you heard peace in the Middle East? <laughs> We're going to bring peace to the Middle East. Well, they're still bombing each other. You've spent billions of dollars. You've, you've wasted hours and hours and hours and man hours and man hours and man hours. You, you've printed out so much paper that you could have rebuilt an entire forest just to bring peace. And you haven't brought peace. It's not working. Whatever it is you're trying to do, it's just not, it's not cutting it. Verse 7. Well, let me, make, let me read some of my notes here. Uh, Therefore, without calling upon historical names and trying to force them into this narrative this is what we're going to say the king of the north and south obviously joined together for a measure of time and had a short period of peace to facilitate this temporary peace the daughter of the king of the south bartered an agreement with the king of the north but it was obviously short-lived that's what the verse says now historically who was it that did that Uh, it, it, there appear to be a couple of options, I, none, none of which satisfy my, um, my opinion. You know, I, I can't say this fits definitively, that fits definitively, so I don't know who it was. But the Bible said it happened, it happened. That, that's for certain. All right, now verses 7 through 8. But out of a branch... Of her roots shall one stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them and shall prevail and shall also carry captives into Egypt, their gods with their princes and with their precious vessels of silver and of gold and shall continue more years than the king of the north. All right, so out of a branch of her roots, this appears to be a, a family member of some sort. Whether it's a brother or, or something like that, they, they appear to have come from the same family. He came from, from a branch of her roots. So whatever her background is, whoever her family is, that's, that's who this is, where he came from. And uh, it could be a brother, it could be more, more of an extended family. But he raises up an army and goes after the king of the north. Now, it's, we can speculate that the reason he's doing this is because of the way his, his, this woman is being treated. This woman goes and makes a peace treaty with the king of the north. Uh, they have this time of peace. Then the king of the north rejects her, turns his back on her. Now, some of the commentators talk about this as though she married the king of the north. It doesn't say that. It, it, I mean, there's no, it, it just says that she goes and barters a deal with the king of the north. We don't know if she maybe gave herself in exchange for this deal or um, I mean, we just anything outside of what it says would be speculation. But there does appear to be 
some sort of relationship there that when the king of the north rejected this woman, one of her family members from the south said, That's, we're not having that. He raised up an army and then he invaded the king of the north. He went and, and attacked the king of the north and he was very successful. Um, this kinsman of the daughter of the king of the south seems to have been angered by her treatment. He invaded and made his way into the fortress of the king of the north. He made it all the way into what they're calling the fortress. Um, that, that's like you made it, you, that's like you went into the state house. I mean, that, that, that means you went all the way. Nothing stopped you. Um, I, I've never, I've driven by the state house. I can't imagine what happens if you stop and get out and walk up to the fence. <laughs> it probably wouldn't go well. <laughs> if you did that at the White House, uh, you better have permission to be there. As you start walking up to the White House and you don't have the proper permission, you're going to, in the military, we call it eating concrete. <laughs> They're going to come and they're going to smash your face into the concrete. And then they're going to take you and find out what you are doing. And so you, you don't want to play around in places like that. And this, this uh, family member from the south went all the way into the, the fortress of the king of the north. So he's knocking on his front door. Uh, it, it went very bad. But this is the thing with the king of the south. Look, we're, we're part of this we have to understand is prophetic. And so it happened the way it was prophesied. But if I invade your country, we've been fighting each other for years. And I decide to take up an army and I go in and I, I invade your country and I get all the way to your house. I'm killing everybody. I'm not going to leave you there to regroup and rebuild an army and come back and, and, and fight us again. That if I don't kill everybody, I'm keeping your country. You're mine now. <laughs> I'm going to rule over this place and I'm going to set up in this country who I want. The king of the south just never did that. He never finished this job. He never took it over. He never redistributed the, 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 uh, the people who were in power. It's like they would go in, win these great battles and just go home. Well, then years later, the, the king of the north would just rebuild and come back and attack. Why would you keep doing that? Now, obviously, it'd be best if none of this was happening, but, but, it, but it's happening. And this king of the south, it's like he's lost his mind. It's, like, it's almost like he enjoys winning these battles. But every time you win these battles, people have to die. Why not just go take control of the country and put someone in, in, in as governor or king or whatever it is you want them to be and let it be reigned under your control. That way you're not having to do this over and over and over and over. Instead, they just leave. And leave the people there and say, all right, well, we'll see you in a few years because you're going to be coming back to fight us again. Why would you do that? So that, that's how it went. So he, he prevailed. The, the king of the south a couple of times has just walked right in and, and did whatever he wanted. And, you know, it, the, the king of the north has not been able to to stop him or defeat him. Uh, let's read verses 9 and 10. So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land, but his sons shall be stirred up and shall assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come uh, and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even <coughs> to his fortress. All right, so now... 
what's happened is you, you went all the way to the, to the fortress of the king of the north. You, you took what you wanted. Then you left and you left them there. Well, now the sons of the king of the north are angry. They build up an army and now they're invading the king of the south. Why did you leave that undone? This has been going on for how long now between the two of you? Why didn't you just finish it? All right, now I'm not, obviously it's not a good thing for countries to invade each other and to kill people and all that. And we'd like to see everybody just, just you just stay in your home and I'll stay in my home and we leave each other alone. That'd be great. But that's not how it goes. And so now you have this back and forth between the two and the king of the south has had every advantage and every opportunity to put an end to this and they just don't do it. And, and so now the king of the north has raised up an army and, and they're invading and going back. So the king of the south, satisfied with his victory, returns home. <laughs> let's, let's go home. Do you not think these people, you just, in order to win this victory, you had to kill people. Do you know what their family members are going to do when, when they see that you just left and left them there to stew on what you've done to them? You, you, you killed them, you stole from them, you took from them. There's no telling what else you did while you were there to them because you could. And then you just turned around and went home and left them there. <laughs> what do you think they're going to do? Well, they rebuilt their army and they came back and they invaded the king of the south. And so now more people are going to die. And, and the, whole thing, the whole circle is just going to be repeated. The problem is you cannot invade someone's country for any reason and expect them to j- just have no desire to return the favor. That's been a problem all across the world. It's characteristic of Africa. You read the history of the African tribes and... And this tribe invades that tribe, and then they get angry, and then they invade this tribe, and then they invade that tribe, and it just goes back and forth, and they just, they just kill each other and, and don't finish the job. That happened with the Indians all across the Americas. It's happened all over the world with, with tribal people. And when, look, if, you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if you feel like you have justification and a reason to invade somebody, you need to go finish the job. Either go all the way and get it done or, or stay home. Because all you're going to do is, is increase that hatred and that anger that they already have for you. Because they didn't like you to start with and then you invaded their country and then left them beaten and tattered and, and, and with their dead to bury them. What do you think they're going to do in 20 years? They're going to say, we forgive you. Well, sorry. No, that's not what they're going to do. They're going to go to whoever it is you hate Swear their allegiance to them, get weapons from them, get money from them, rebuild, and they're going to come back and they're going to try to hurt you. And and you see these governments all around the world playing these games like this, and it's not good. If you have determined somebody is evil enough and bad enough that you need to invade them, you need to be willing to do the job and put it to put it, get it over with. Otherwise, stay out of it. Stay home. And you might say, well, that just sounds terrible, Brother Thomas. That's war. That's how it is. That's, that's how it is now. When Jesus Christ comes back, what do you think he's going to do? When he comes out of Saudi Arabia, it says the blood will flow as high as the horse's rain. Jesus did that. Right? So 
look, if you're going to go to war, you need to finish the job. And we're not talking about going and torturing people and mutilating people and doing horrific things that you see happening all around the world. If you have justification to go to war, go finish the war. Get it over with. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be ugly. But if all you do is go and seriously wound those people and then go back home, 10 years later, they're going to come back and return the favor. And you're just going to have this cycle of, of horrendous war. And, and, um, and again, obviously, the best thing would be everybody just be content with such things as they have and not go fight each other. But that can't happen. Russia wants to take Ukraine. Ukraine wants to take back what Russia took. And it's just a, it's a, it's a continuous battle. Uh, it, it never ends. And so um, when, you lose, when you lose your grounding factors that made you as a country and you won't stick to them as a country, you're going to be attacked and you're going to fall apart. Right? That, that's what's happening all across the West. What made the West strong, what everybody hates the West, about the West in many ways is what made the West strong. They had a united idea. They had, they had many united ideals and it made them powerful. And if you cross those ideals, they bomb you into smithereens and, and, and get it over with. Well, they've lost heart for that. They can't handle they, they, you know, they want to go fire. They want to fire bombs from 100 miles away. They don't want to come and face, face their enemy face to face and have to kill people. If you can blow things up from 100 miles away, you can pretend like nobody died. It's not as, it's not as uh, bloody. It's not as face to face. And so then rather than finishing a war, they just toy with people. And, and then it just stirs up hatred, stirs up anger. You can't play like that. If, if you're going to go to war over something, if you, again, you have justification, I need to fight that country because they have done something that so violates who we are, what we are, that we need to fight. Well, you either need to beat them into submission and take it over, or you need to get, you need to wipe them off the map. That's what Jesus is going to do. He is either going to conquer you or he's going to wipe you off the map. And now his... His purpose is 100% righteous. There is no question about it. My country, your country, only, only by pride <laughs> cometh contention. All right, so um, that's the reason country, that's the real reason countries go to war, but they perpetuate war when they don't have the heart to finish what they, what they got themselves into. So either don't get into it, or go finish it. Amen. Yeah, I know that's exciting. It's great stuff, brother. Thank you for that. Uh, but <laughs> you, you can't just invade people, destroy their economy, destroy their lives, blow up their buildings, maim their people, and then say, okay, we're going to go home now. What do you think they're going to do? Oh, we're sure glad they left. Let's just get our lives back together. No, that's not what they're going to do. They're going to start forming a militia that's going to turn into an army. And, and the motivating factor of that militia or that army is that they hate you. You can't just leave stuff like You can't leave people like that laying around if you want to go on to live a peace, peaceful life back where you came from. 
So either don't invade in the first place or go in with the intention of say goodbye. Everybody's got to go. It's like David. David was horrible. A- who was it? Was it Achish that asked him, you know, where are you coming from? We've been doing. Just went and killed everybody and took Ziglag, killed all the men, killed all the women, killed all the children. Nobody there to cause a riot. <laughs> now, I mean, that's that's terrible. But he took Ziglag. <laughs> there, there was nobody to take it back. It's his. Right? So it's war is war is a horrendous thing. It, anybody here ever been to war? No, just me. <laughs> it's it's not something you want to be a part of. When when you got to go and carry body parts of your fellow soldiers who've been blown apart. It, it's it's not something you want to be a part of. So if you're going to if you're if you're facing people who want to fight you and want to kill you and you're going to go to war, go all the way. And America has lost its heart to do that, and so we keep saying, "Oh, there's a terrorist group here," and so we throw a few bombs at them and let them keep growing. If they are terrorists and they're trying to kill us, get rid of them. If you're just playing political games. You need, to sit, you need to sit down and shut up. You don't play political games with people's lives. It's going to stir hatred. It's going to cause more war. And so, anyways, verses 11 through 12. And the king of the south shall be moved with choler, and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. And when he hath taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up, and he shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. That's amazing to me. That means he's winning the battle. He's He's tearing down whatever he's going against. But it's not making him any better. It's not making him any stronger. And that can be the case with war. You, you, You really want to be... You want to be forced to go to war. And you want to warn people, you bring me into this, we're not stopping until you're gone. Leave us alone. And if they won't leave you alone, you warn them again. They take, take more life, they cause more problems, then you tell them you, you cross the line. That's it. It's over. The... the um, General Mike Flynn, who was he was in charge for a little while under Donald Trump, he's that kind of guy. Uh, there's another general, um, maybe it was a colonel. He was a Marine colonel. I can't think of his name. Oh, Mattis, General, general Mattis. No, he wasn't. He was a general. General Mattis. He was the head of our Marine Corps for a long time, and he was in an interview, and somebody asked him, "When when you go to bed at night, which country scares you?" And he said, "No, no, no." They are terrified of me. I am not scared of them. And he meant it. (laughs) He was not joking. General Flynn, when Iran was causing all this trouble for America, he went on, he came to the podium to give a speech, and this was his speech. Iran, you're on notice. He turned around and walked away from the podium. (laughs) That means one more move. Do something else and see what happens. Now, those two men mean what they're saying. 
And you notice when Donald Trump was president, how many wars were there around the world? Who knows? Zero. There was the Afghanistan war, which was supposed to be moving towards its close, but he didn't start it. How how much territory did Putin take when Donald Trump was president? Not one inch. Obama's president, he took Crimea. Joe Biden's president, he's trying to take all of Ukraine. All right, so that's what you want. How many people, how many militaries have invaded Uganda under the presidency of of Museveni? They don't want to play with that man. For all all his faults or whatever whatever people's issues are with him, they know Museveni was a man who, who was in the bush. You don't play with him. Every king, every king in Uganda who tried to fight against the federal government, how long did it last? Hours. And that's it. It's over. Now, I'm not telling you you should love Museveni. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you you should love Donald Trump. I have my issues with Donald Trump. I am telling you these are men you don't toy with. That's how you use power. When you go play with people's lives and you just shoot off bombs and you kill people and you only do a half job because you just wanted to toy with them a little bit, you're stirring hatred. You're you're provoking. When you have a strong man that nobody wants to mess with and they test the water a little bit and he he turns and looks their way and says, do it again. And they say, (laughs) let's... We'll be back when there's another president. <laughs> um, that's what you want. Right? Now, if everybody had a president like that, then there's a good chance everybody would just stay home and leave everybody alone. Maybe. But everybody doesn't have a president like that. And so there are invasions and there's killings and there's bombings. and There's all this stuff going on all around the world because they can and there's, there's not somebody strong enough in that country for them to say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't test that guy. Let's, let's wait till the next guy comes along and we'll test the waters again. But right now is not a good time. And so this man, the king, the king of the north and his sons, stir, they stirred up the king of the south. And in response, the king of the south defeated the king of the north again, again. And guess what he does? Goes right back home. You just, you just don't get it. You're not very good. Look, you've got a powerful military, but you're not a great strategist. <laughs> you, you need a little help in that, that area. But the king of the south was so proud of his victory, um, he was not strengthened. I'm reading the wrong notes. But you, you get the point. After a period of time, the king of the north regained his strength and stature and decided to go against the king of the south again. He had the army... And the riches, so he re-engaged in the fight. The phrase, robbers of of thy people, further implicates the terrible position that Israel finds itself in. Can you imagine each time these armies pass through, what do they do? Oh, here's a town. Here's a city. Let's see what they have. (laughs) And let's take it and use it. And so it's like they're constantly going back and forth. So they, they can't get their lives together. They're caught between these wars and the robbers of thy people 
indicates that Israel is being pillaged by one side or by uh, or both as these battles continue with Israel at the center. Some suggest that um, the robbers of thy people are Jews robbing Jews. I just don't see anything in the context to to back that. What it looks like to me is, you know, the king of the north marches through Israel to get to the king of the south, and the king of the uh, 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 south marches through Israel to get to the king of the north, and they're going back and forth, and the pathway to get there is through Israel. <laughs> and so whatever they want to take or pillage or do while they're there, they just, they just stop and rob the people. Um, let's look at verses 15 through 19. Verse 15, so the king of the north shall, shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities and the arm and the arms of the south shall not withstand um, neither his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will and, and none shall stand before him uh, and he shall stand in the glorious land which by his hand shall be consumed. He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of of women corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither before him. After this shall he turn his face unto the isles, and shall take many, but a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Without his own reproach, he shall cause it to turn upon, to turn upon him. Uh, then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but shall stumble and fall and not be found. Okay, so this passage tells us the, the, the glorious land is it's under the control of the king of the south. This is where Daniel's people are physically located, and they are caught in the middle of these battles. Nothing it was going to to stop the king of the north in this endeavor. So he's finally got to a point. He 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 finally built up an army. He's ready to go back and invade again. I mean that this constant back and forth. In my opinion, if it, if this was not prophetic and needed to happen in order to fulfill prophecy. If I was the king of the south, I like to think, (laughs) um, the king of the north would have been mine. The north, whatever that is, would have been mine. After the first one or two battles, we're done with this. You're not coming back and attacking us again, and and then we come back and attack you again. And We're not going to take turns here going back and forth. You belong to me now. You're under my control. That's it. It's over for you. Whoever's in power in the, in the north, you're done. You're, you're, your whole family's being run out of town. And so they didn't do that. So it goes back and forth. But this time the king of the north has built up a military and he has built up riches to an extent that the king of the south couldn't stop him. This time he made his way all the way down and, and, and he finds himself in the glorious land. Through military strength, he was able to take the glorious land. That's that center portion. That's right, right in the center between the two. That's Israel. So he pushed his way all the way down into, it looks like, into Israel and took control of that land. Now in verse 17, something changes. Now the commentators say that the king of the north learned 
that the king of the south had enlisted the assistance of the up-and-coming Roman Empire. Now, something obviously changed. You know, he's, he's, got this, he's got the riches. He's got the military. He's pushing through. The king of the south can't stop him. And then suddenly he says, oh, here's my daughter. Why don't you marry my daughter, and then I'll go fight somewhere else. What happened? Now, it could be that he decided to just randomly make a peace treaty. Maybe he's tired of all the fighting. Maybe he's tired of going back and forth with his country and he made a peace treaty. But the, the commentators, they, they try and tell you which Ptolemy it is and which Seleucid it is, which Antiochus it is, all that, all that stuff. And, um, and they say that, that, the, that Egypt got in contact with Rome, which was, was a, a powerful country at the time, but was up and coming to become what, it, what, what we knew it as. And um, enlisted their assistance and had to promise that they were coming to help. And so, if that's true, the king of the north was like, maybe we should, before they get here, <laughs> put an end to this. All right, so that, that's, it's possible, it's plausible. But again, it requires us to believe that who the commentators or, or historical people say that these two kings are in the south and also in the north, that that's who they are. Um, they say that the woman here is Cleopatra, but again, there's like a 150-year gap in some of the historical events here. It's just, it's just hard to say that that, that could be true. It, it doesn't fit. Now, with the, the other 150-year gap, I can see that still fitting in this narrative. It, it doesn't ruin the narrative, though it is substantial. This one... There was not a hundred. They didn't call on Rome and create this hundred and fifty-year peace treaty so that Rome didn't come and destroy them. That's just not what happened. Uh, so it, it, this one just doesn't make as as much. If it's Cleopatra, it makes no sense. Everybody here know who Cleopatra is? Raise your hand if you know who Cleopatra is. You don't know who Cleopatra is, really? Wow. Well, we. We read a lot about these people and this type of stuff growing up in the West. Now they're making a movie about her, and they're, the whole point of the movie is to say that she was black, but she was she was Middle Eastern. <laughs> she was not, she was not black, so she would have been from that region. So I, I don't know who cares. But uh, anyways, she was a famous name in history. Um, I don't think you really need to know anything about her. If you really want to, you can. But, <laughs> but uh, it just—it doesn't—it doesn't. It doesn't it, I mean, it's just a—it's just a long shot. And in order to be, to believe that fully, you've really got to accept some real historical difficulties that don't really fit in the narrative. And so it makes it very hard. I can see the the possibility of some sort of. Um, Something caused this king of the north to abruptly change his mind. I mean, what? you've got the hatred, you're angry, you've got the money, you've got the king, you've got everything you need to, to go in and put an end to this, and you just stop after you, take, after you take Israel, and you go and you start fighting somewhere else. Something, something definitely happened to, 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 to push him in a different direction, just what it was, who, who knows. Um, but again, he, they use one of their daughters as a bartering tool. That's nice. You know, it's 
do we have a daughter? Is she pretty? Let's, <laughs> let's send her over and see if she can make peace. So, um, very odd things. So, verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a razor of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within few days he shall be destroyed, neither uh, in, in anger nor in battle. So, um, so if you're going to say this is Rome, then you, also, you have to say that Rome decided to tax the world in what, Luke 4 or Luke 2, whatever it was. And then in few days, Rome was destroyed. Does that, does that fit? Not at all. All right, so it's not Rome. Um, it's, it's some, it, it is the kingdom of the north, someone in the kingdom of the north who stood up and began to raise taxes. And, and of course, the theory is that all these wars that are going on and, and the details about, about them becoming rich enough to be able to have these wars means in order to keep them going, you need the money to keep coming in. Well, one of the ways governments pays for its war, for its wars is taxes. They just start taxing you. Like in America, we have income tax on the money you earn. Then you're taxed again at the store when you buy something. So that's the second time it's taxed. If you leave the money, if you die and leave the money to somebody, it's taxed again when you transfer it to somebody. If you invest it, in a in, in a uh, a savings account or in a, in a uh, an interest bearing account of some sort, when you take it out, it's taxed again. Um, it's just why do we have the most powerful military in the world? Because our money is taxed about seventeen different times. That's <laughs> uh, just how it goes. No, I, I there is some. Benefit to that, we do have the most powerful military in the world, and people, for the most part, leave us alone. We do have nice roads. There's lights on the roads. There's, there, there is benefit to taxation, but um, it's not all good. <laughs> we tell, you know, we tell people when they complain about their taxes, we tell them, well, stop using the roads. Uh, don't, don't use anything that taxation has produced. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then pay the taxes. But every country has introduced taxes. Do you know of a single country that has zero taxes? I don't know of any. There might one might exist. Uh, there are a few states, maybe just one. Is it just? Do you know? Well, they have no income tax. But um, it's like Rhode Island or Delaware. They have no sales tax. Florida has sales tax, yeah. Uh, they have no income tax. There's no state income tax. Tennessee doesn't. I'm sure there's others. I don't know if Texas does. Um, anyways, there are a few states in America that have no, no taxes or, or, or reasonable taxes. Um, but other than that, every country in the world will tax you. They're going to tax you. Even if you don't live, even if you're not from that country, they'd like to tax you if they could. <laughs> um, and so, as a result of these wars and failed diplomacy, the king of the north begins to rely upon taxes for income. He raises taxes to such a notable degree that it was prophesied in the Bible. All right now, we, we know that biblically, uh, other governments and 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 and. Uh, 
heads of governments are named who taxed people. So this is not a new thing. But something about this event implicates the coming of the Antichrist. Now, here's the question again. When, when is this? Did it already happen? Is it going to happen? Because you read it together. Verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. Verse 21. And in his estate. His estate. Whose estate? The one who was... The one who raised the taxes, the one who destroyed, who got destroyed. In his estate comes the Antichrist. So you tell me when this is. <laughs> so my my redeeming factor in all this that, that sort of that sort of helps my mind is what we read in Daniel 8 in the latter times of their kingdom. These four kingdoms are coming back. Which means that some of this, at least, that we've read so far, is going to happen in the future. I think it's reasonable to say some of this might have already happened in the past. All right? You could say it was between the Ptolemies and, and the Seleucids, and it was Egypt and Syria. I think it's going to be Egypt and Syria. So, I, 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 I almost think... You could almost say that verses 1 through um, one through 4, you could almost make the argument that's the extent of the historical information. And that verses 5 down through the coming of the Antichrist could potentially be things that are going to happen in the future. Now, for me to say that, that's a, that's a stretch compared to the majority of, of Bible teaching that's out on this. I'd really be alone. I don't know of anybody else who would say that. So I'm not telling you to follow me on that. I'm just telling you that it, it's, it's very complex to figure out which parts of this hasn't happened yet. And which parts are, are still yet future. Because you look at that. We, we just read it. Verses 20 and 21. I mean they flow right together. Like there's, no, like there's no break. And so to verses 19 and 20. So, so where do you put the break. Between what has already happened. And what's coming as the latter time of their kingdom. And, and the coming of the Antichrist. This is clearly talking about the Antichrist. That, that part I'm, I'm, I'm sold on. It's, verse 21 and on is talking about the coming of the Antichrist. For sure. I, I have no issue with that. What to do with verses 5 through 20? Is, is that describing the latter time of their kingdom? Are these things that are going to take place uh, just before the, the tribulation or in the first part of the tribulation? It looks like verses 20 through 30 or verse 20 through 29, 20 through um, 32, or 31, excuse me, um, arguably that, that might be the first three and a half years of the, of the tribulation. Or it might sit within the first three, year, three and a half years of the tribulation. So um, the only thing that, 
keeps me from saying verses 5 through uh, 20 or 21 might be part of that is, part of the tribulation at least, is that um, they don't start talking about the covenant that he makes until verse 22. And as far as Daniel is concerned, the book of Daniel is concerned, when that covenant is made between the Antichrist and Israel, the tribulation begins. It starts when that covenant is made. All right, so these verses 5 through 20 could be the state of the world as we build up to the, the coming of the tribulation. They could also be historical events that happen between the, Ptole- the Ptolemies and the, and the Seleucids. Which one is it? Yeah. It's one, Maybe. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult passage to make full sense of, though I think either could be reasonable explanations. Either could be possible. Um, because when you read that, when you, when you look at what the commentators have done with the historical information, I mean, they're really just, oh, I think this battle fits what they described here. And so they just put it there and say, and they teach it as though that's what happened. Well, it... <laughs> It's so subjective, and it's it's completely your opinion, and you may be missing historical information, or you may be intentionally overlooking historical information so that you can make it fit, and that's that's not good. So, um, so that that's part of the difficulties of of teaching this, and I'm not trying to give you more questions and answers. I, I this is just an unbelievably complex chapter. But that's the way I look at it. When I, when I read verses 5 through 20, I struggle to think that this is historical and it's the Ptolemies versus Seleucids. Seleucids. Um, but then when I read verses 5 through 20, I also struggle to say it's solely prophetic, though I could see either one being true. Now, the prophetic, once you get into the later portion of it, you know, 18 down through 21, the prophetic part makes, makes more sense. But this is not like some of the other chapters we've looked at where, where I, I can be certain where the context places us. It's not a, you can't be as certain here about where the context is placing us. Did this, some of this already happen between these two co- uh, countries that came out of Grisha? Or are they going to come back and begin fighting in the future? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know for sure. For sure. All right. Let's um, let me see my notes. Let's look at verse twenty-one real fast. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. So there, there is a shift here. I put it here, but but verse twenty could be part of it, uh, or verse twenty could be separate. Uh, again, verses five through twenty could be one narrative, and then there's a pause until the sec- till the to the uh, antichrist is revealed and the tribulation begins, and then verse twenty one picks up. I mean that that's that's very possible, um, but I, I don't know. Uh, but it looks like there's a shift here. The antichrist rises from a governmental system that places heavy emphasis on taxes. Uh, that would just about characterize every government in existence today. 
Um, we have governments who tax other governments today. I mean, that's pretty significant. <laughs> uh, and, and they did back then also. I mean, if Nebuchadnezzar, he went into Jerusalem and he, and he told the king of Judea, you belong to me now, you send your taxes or I'm coming to take you out. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, so it still happens today in, in a different format, though. Um, but this is nothing new in the world. But this idea will be characteristic of the rise of the Antichrist. Um, look, at, look at verse 31 again in connection to this. And arms, and arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. All right, so this, this man that stands up is the same man who will stop the daily sacrifice, and put the abomination of desolation in the holy place. He is a vile person. And, and by, be, by vile, he's not just evil. Like he's, in, he's evil with a disgusting connotation. That, that's what they mean by vile. He's a disgusting individual. But he's able to flatter and smile. And, and, uh, and he's you know, able to use flattery and... and convince you that he's on your side and the whole time he's lying to you. There's nothing true about it. Pretends like everything is great to your face and then uh, later behind your back, it's completely different. All right, so you have to be very careful with people like that. It's best to just stay away from them. Um, he, he's not just evil, but, he, but there's this sick connotation, this sick aspect to, to his evil uh, and what he is. Now it seems plausible this period might cover the first half. Now we're talking about verses 21 uh, down to till the, till the abomination of desolation is set up. So that'd be 21 through 30. Um, could be 5 through 30. But at least 21 through 30 is uh, looks like it's possibly part of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Um, it's not clear with a high level of certainty, but the description could be that period in which the Antichrist is rising to power through peace and flattery. Look at Second Thessalonians real fast, chapter 2, and we'll read verses 6 through 10. Uh, oh, chapter 2, I'm in the wrong, oh no, I'm in the right place. Verse 6, um, and now you know that withholdeth uh, what, what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken, taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness, deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So, this is a vile person. And, and we know that right now there's a lot of evil in the world. And we would say, I mean, is it, is it, could it really get worse? Yeah, it, it's going to get worse. It's going to get much worse. And the only thing preventing that is the body of Christ sealed with the Holy Spirit preaching the Word of God. That's the only thing that's stopping this. And, and once we're taken out of the way, there, there's, there's nothing to withhold anymore. 
And he's just going to have his way with people and do what he wants. And he's going to do it by flattery and through peace, 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 when there is no peace. How do you convince people there is peace when there is none? He's going to do it. People do it all the time. You have the United Nations. We're going to send a peacekeeping mission. Well, we've been fighting for 30 years since you've been here. So is that peacekeeping mission ever going to be complete? Um, I mean, that's the thing. When, when you find an organization that exists for the sole purpose of resolving a problem, well, if that problem gets resolved, guess what happens to the organization? They cease to exist. What do you need them for anymore? So if you're, if you're the United Nations and your goal is to keep peace and that's how you make money, guess what's never going to come? <laughs> now, they wouldn't put it that way, but it's awfully conspicuous. You didn't, you didn't help a whole lot in Rwanda. There was an entire peacekeeping mission on the ground and they just watched everything that happened. He's like, no, no, we're, we're going to bring peace here. We just wait till everybody dies, and after everybody's dead, it'll be peaceful. It doesn't work that way. So, our preaching and spreading of the gospel, or our spreading of, of the word of God, uh, spreading of, and I missed this sentence up, but sp- the spreading of God's word forces evil to, to be limited. It's not able to just flourish and do what it wants. Now, there's far too much of it, and evil men and seducers are going to continue to wax worse and worse, and a large part of that is failure on our part because we don't, we don't fully go out and do what we're supposed to do. As, a, as the body of Christ around the world, numerous people just do nothing, and, and that's, that's not helpful, obviously. And so uh, if, if we don't go out and take the Word of God out and confront sin and unrighteousness, then... Um, it's, nothing's going to change. He will arise out of obscurity. They will not desire to give him the kingdom, but he will trick his way into power. If you look at that again, verse 21, And in his estate he shall stand, shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom. So he's going to be there, and they're not going to give him the kingdom. He's going to take it. But he's not going to take it just with force. He's going to smile and he's going to be diplomatic and he's going to be political and he's going to weasel his way into it and he's going to take that position. And it's, he's, he's going to take it by flattery and, and by, by peace. Um, look, look at verse 23. Um, and after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. You see that? He takes a small group of people and gains power. Now, we've mentioned briefly before about the, the, the rapid rise of homosexuality and, and transgender movement and all of that. And, uh, and I've told you I have a friend who teaches that when it says he shall not desire, uh, however it's worded, something about the desire of women, he, he regardeth not the desire of women. Um, it... it seems to indicate possibly that either he doesn't care about women or he's not attracted to women. And so he teaches that, 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 the, that the, uh, the Antichrist may possibly be a homosexual. And so, um, you know, if you were to put the two together, in America, when homosexuality began to 
grow so rapidly, um, less than 1% of the entire population was homosexual, but they were still getting a lot accomplished politically. Well, from that time until now, which has been a short time, like 5% of the United States is now, now considers it, the individuals consider themselves homosexuals. That's a massive, massive growth in a short amount of time. It's still just a small group of people who make a lot of noise all around the world, and they get a lot of things done. That's what it's talking about here. Not, not homosexuals necessarily, but he's going to take a small group of people, and he's going to take power. And, and so if you have a small group of people who will do what they're supposed to do, who, who will get behind the movement and push, it can go a long way. That's why if a small group of people got behind the gospel and preached and, and got involved in their church, it might go a long way. Amen, Brother Thomas. That's a blessing. Glad you brought that up. All right, Daniel 8, verses 23 through 25. <laughs> and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, there it is again, the latter time of their kingdom, A king of fierce countenance and understanding, dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Verse 25, and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace, by peace shall destroy many. How do you do that? How do you destroy people by peace? That's what he's going to do. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So, um, and then of course, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 5 says, he, uh, no, this is, this is the opposite of that. The apostle Paul said, I never used flattery. I didn't come in here and, and use flattery to, to persuade you to come and trust in Jesus Christ. He was very upfront with them. He was very honest with them. He gave them the truth. And, and they had to make a choice. Not the Antichrist. He's going to come in and he's going to use peace. And he's going to use flattery. And he's going to use those things to destroy people. Uh, I'm thankful we're not going to be here. But... I want to understand how a a leader is going to use peace to destroy. That's very interesting. I don't want to be subject to it. I just want to see, what what are you doing? How are you doing that? (laughs) And and so that, 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 that part boggles my mind. I mean, I have some ideas about what it could be, I guess, but um, he's going to use peace to destroy. Very interesting. All right. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.